just get the job done. Like if you see it, just do it. Don't, don't wait for somebody else to do it. Um, and if you lead by that example, um, it really starts to build that culture uh, within your organization of just always having pride in everything you do. Um, and uh, everyone else in your organization will step up. Um, it's, it's ridiculous for you to assume as a business owner that everyone should care about your business as much as you do. Um, like, but still uh, having that personal level of pride attached to everything you do is really important. Yo, Zach here. That's the voice of Jordan Staub, today's guest. Jordan is a revenue-generating maestro. He's been in the Link Ventures and Kogo Labs universe for several years now, and he's currently the CEO of Smarter Travel, uh, actually an asset that um, that his previous company, HopJump, had acquired from TripAdvisor. And just last week, Smarter Travel announced that they raised $9.5 million in Series B funding. So we're really excited to have Jordan on the podcast to chat about growth at Smarter Travel and just sort of his, his career journey in, in general. I think folks are really going to appreciate this conversation. Enjoy. Silicon Valley Bank is a proud sponsor of Boston Speaks Up. For more than 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has helped innovative companies and their investors move bold ideas forward fast. SVB provides targeted financial services and expertise through its offices at 53 State Street in downtown Boston and in Newton and innovation centers around the world. With commercial, international, and private banking services, SVB helps address the unique needs of Boston's innovators. Learn more at svb.com. Zach Servideo here from Boston Speaks Up, and I'm here with Smarter Travel CEO, Jordan Staub. What's up, Jordan? How's it going, Zach? It's going really well, man. Uh, Friday, as we're kind of leaving summer in the fall, it's a rainy day. I promised uh, our daughter Mila that we'll take her to see Paw Patrol tonight, so she's very excited. Uh, I'm going to take advantage of a of a rainy Friday evening and uh, go to the movies. How about yourself? Kids, what, what's my, on the docket? My kids, lo- <laughs> my kids loved the Paw Patrol movie. And so nice. um, I think we're going up to Storyland on this weekend, actually. I'm with my kids. Um, I think our kids are the same age. At, uh, mine are four and five. Nice. Oh, that's awesome. So should, should be fun. Great, man. Great. Well, for, for listeners, uh, I want to give them a, sort of a frame of reference and some context as to what you're up to right now at Smarter Travel. So if you could, at a top line, give a little background on your your current role and also sort of how that's connected into sort of the Link Ventures and Kogo Labs universe. Um, and also congratulations, last um, just last week, uh, and you know TechCrunch and, and other outlets covered sort of reported your your Series B funding round uh, to the tune of $9.5 million. So congratulations. And if you want to you know, speak to that and some of the growth that that smarter travel is experiencing and, and some of sort of the the growth that you're excited about and plans ahead um we'd love to hear it absolutely yeah, and thank you um so we we actually started our business uh, about eight years ago um when we spun out of kogo labs and kogo labs is a, a local uh, incubator um focusing on internet startups and has a ton of success um and has been relatively quiet and we're getting a, a little more well known um, as we are, you continue to see our name on some successes uh, like Everquote um, coming out of the Cambridge area. So uh, we spun out originally in the online jobs 
area um, and, and really built out our skill set of um, marketing at scale and really understanding user acquisition. And while we started in that vertical, it really turned into helping large brands with user acquisition campaigns. And over time, uh, we started to see a ton of success um, helping some of the ride sharing um, companies that everyone knows um, really expand quickly with user acquisition. Um, and they were looking for driver acquisition campaigns. And in 2018, for, for one of them that happened to IPO that year, we helped with about 2.5% of their global driver network. About 50,000 drivers in the U.S. Um, came from our marketing efforts. And that was a real catalyst for wanting to see if we could do this ourselves. Um, driving traffic on the internet is a very difficult task, um, and we were very good at it. Uh, so that's a hard part of building a business. Um, part of it's building product. The other part is uh, letting people know about your product. And so we wanted to jump in and build our own. Uh, so that's when we launched into travel with Hopjump. And that was uh, a company that uh, I co-founded uh, with my co-founder, Ann Beckett. And from there, we uh, launched into travel and had a lot to learn. Um, bumps along the way. Uh, we've been in travel for a little over, uh, I think, three years now uh, at this point. But uh, learned a ton along the way. Um, finally found our product that we loved. Uh, went to market with it, which was Hop Jump Plus. And that... Uh, was bringing wholesale prices direct to consumers. This is going to be the Amazon Prime of travel, about $99 a year, um, and allowed you to save around 20% on booking a hotel room. Really cool product, about a two-night ROI. Got 60,000 free members in our first two months, um, and then a global pandemic came along um, and uh, put a pause to that really quickly. And so uh, we had to adapt uh, and, and learn. And from there, um, we were able to adapt pretty quickly. Um, uh, very proud of our company on, on how we were able to, to roll through complete unknown um, and demand and travel going to zero um, really quickly. Uh, we were able to stay in the black and we put ourselves into a position to acquire a company from TripAdvisor, which was Smarter Travel Media, uh, which is current our current namesake. And so we recently rebranded with the Rays um, and that that part of our business is growing like crazy, um, uh, despite the continued headwinds and travel right now. So uh, really what Smarter Travel is delivering is information to consumers, uh, how, when, and where to travel, which um, as travel has uh, been difficult, uh, information is uh, more important than ever. So we're in a great spot to help travelers understand how to get back out there. Um, and we have over 7 million subscribers to our newsletters. Um, that are inform people on how to do that. So really excited about our future and have some cool stuff launching uh, coming into the, the back of the year um, and early in Q1 um, that uh, we're really proud of. That's great. That's a super helpful overview. Uh, a couple of sort of like follow on thoughts and, and really questions. Um, one with regards to TripAdvisor and sort of the, like the, the asset that you acquired from TripAdvisor that is now your, your name, you know, namesake of your company, Smarter Travel. Why is it that TripAdvisor you know, would, would sell you that asset? And, and how do you show up in the market vis-a-vis TripAdvisor? Are you, are you frenemies? Are you, you know, are you competitors? Like, are you complementary to each other? Like, how, how would you articulate that? Yeah, so definitely not enemies. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I have any 
enemies necessarily in in business. Um, there's I, I said fren- uh, frenemies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's uh yeah, like there's plenty of competition in every business. But I, I think that's my favorite part of working on the internet um, is uh, there's always creative ways um, to work with competitors. And um, so, but to go back to your original question of how do we come about acquiring this? Um, as I mentioned, this is a unprecedented time uh, for travel. Um, it's never happened um, and that demand went to absolute zero. You couldn't book a hotel. Right. Um, like people couldn't travel for uh, uh, when we first went into this in March. And uh, that hit many of the big incumbents um, in the travel space uh, much harder um, than it did us. We were still learning to be good at something. Um, uh, the larger companies uh, had to make changes and Unfortunately, that came with layoffs um, and tough decisions. And for uh, TripAdvisor, this was uh, something that was not core to their business. um, And they wanted to uh, move on from it. And so I don't want to speak for them um, on on the decision-making process. But uh, when they had to make tough decisions, this was one of them. Yeah. No, fair, fair enough. And, and, and appreciate that. I just wanted to kind of double click on it. And, and I guess sort of sticking to that, to that, that asset that you acquired and sort of the pivot that you referenced, but the legacy of the business that you built being, you know, you, you, I think your words were roughly, you know, driving web traffic is, is, is a difficult business and, and, but, but you're, it's a difficult business that, you know, early on as hop jump, you, became essentially, you know, experts at, um, has that original business stuck around and is that original sort of website traffic sort of savvy coalesced with, uh, you know, delivering info, how, where, when to travel like that. It, it seems, you know, abstractly and sort of, you know, my, my assumption is it does, and I can, I can draw conclusions as to why, but rather than me, me do that, why don't, why don't you explain it sort of like how do all the pieces kind of fit together to deliver like, you know, a great, you know, travel information company for the modern age sure yeah we still operate cognius um which is uh the agency portion that still helps others uh, with user acquisition campaigns um and that uh, their primary client is uh smarter travel so they're helping drive the traffic um for all of our newsletters um, and growing our our user base constantly Mm -hmm. and so I, i love how that's structured um, because it gives us perspective um, on how to be best of breed in the market um, at all times. So that's one thing I learned from consulting um, where I started before this is uh, exposure to more problems allows you to really shape your perspective um, and stay very, very sharp. Um, if you can continue yeah. to solve problems from different angles, um, you continue to improve your skill set. Um, and uh, helping others with user acquisition campaigns continues to keep us uh, incredibly sharp um, and best of breed at, at what we do. I love that um, very much so. And and you know, Jordan, you and I have have a bit of you know have a have a friendship you know offline, and and we've gotten to know each other. And you understand that I come from sort of the consulting world, and that's where I live and breathe every day. Um, and and I would agree. And I think a lot of the friends and kind of partners I have in the business world that are like you know focused on a particular business that's sort of why they value consultants and folks that see a lot of problems and stay very sharp and in in offering you know consistently offering agile solutions to uh challenges across industries and across sort of like um 
you know, specific sort of like growth challenges unique, you know, to different brands. It just kind of helps, helps sharpen the, uh, the tool belt, uh, quite a bit, um, or the toolkit, I should say. Um, one thing that I wanted to ask just early on and, you know, listeners, um, this is something I, I've had, a, you know, I try to get listener feedback and improve like the questions I ask and the, and the information that, that, um, you know, folks like yourself can provide the community. But one question I, I've gotten from a couple of people is, can you, can you check in with your uh, guests early on? Like, are they hiring? Like, what, you know, so how, how's business going right now? You just got 9.5 million, you know, series B last week. Um, I imagine there's some hiring, like, are you hiring right now? Like, should people reach out? What kind of roles are you looking um, to fill? Is, is there anything on that front that you'd like to share with the, the community? We are always hiring. I mean, really, this, uh, the extra ammunition that we just picked up is uh, going to be very helpful for some aggressive growth. Um, but more importantly, it's about hiring um, and bring continuing to bring on incredible talent. Um, so we're hiring for almost everything. Um, someone reached out the other day. Um, that's a fun part of the, the press. Um, some people reach out and uh, just start to ask if we're we're hiring for many roles and most aren't up um on our job posting um but we're hiring for everything so if you're amazing um, reach out um, and we would love to talk to you but uh mostly going into uh, analyst engineers um continuing to improve our um data science as well with some some key acquisitions uh, a lot of what we're doing is expanding our our prowess on ai and, and data science right now so um and we'll we'll be able to talk more about that um in the coming months um but a very talented analyst team um internally and they're data scientists at almost every other company um, and we should start calling them that um and uh, really excited about what we're building um but always looking for more talent nice you hear that amazing people um reach out to jordan jordan what's the best way for folks to reach out that is a great question. I will shoot over a, a contact email um, in for you to add to the show notes um, yeah. for sure. But um, uh, yeah, we'll, I'll follow up with a, a contact, but nice. um, you can always reach out on our careers page. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I want to get in like to a bit of your, your, your background and sort of, it sounds like your, your entrepreneurial journey started, started early and you were around some entrepreneurs in your family. Um, but before we do that, just for, little more context for, for myself and for listeners. Uh, can you describe the sort of, you know, the relationship between Link Ventures and Kogo Labs? And like, as you alluded to, which I, which I, I, I completely agree, Kogo Labs has a lower profile than perhaps it should have, um, especially with, um, you know, companies like EverQuote and, 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 um, and, you know, Hopjump, now Smarter Travel, like, companies that have had success um, at various levels are sort of, you know, incubated through Kogo Labs. Can you speak a little bit to sort of, you know, the relationship between the, the, the venture capital side, Link Ventures, <clears throat> and the incubation um, business that is Kogo? And then also just speak a little bit to the unique sort of approach that Kogo takes and sort of the, the data-oriented approach to sort of um, developing businesses. I think, you know, I think listeners will really, really appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah. So Link Ventures and Kogo started uh, right around the same time. Originally, Link Ventures was the VC arm um, uh, that was funding Kogo Labs. Uh, and Kogo Labs was really an incubator where 
think incubators are usually seen as uh, organizations that you can bring your idea to and they'll take care of uh, a lot of the nuances of a business and allow you to focus on your idea. Um, this took it a, one step further of also um, coming up with the ideas as well. Um, and so we weren't really in the early days taking on many external ideas. They were all internal um, and uh, looking at all of the data um, and understanding where there was an opportunity in a market um, and moving forward there. So uh, all of the businesses started around understanding how internet traffic works in an industry and understanding how quality works within that industry as well. And so quality for internet traffic is really interesting um, and is really the keystone to unlocking success in any industry. So if you look at Everquote, for instance, um, there are many people who drive leads um, for auto insurance uh, on the internet. Um, the key to being able to acquire insatiably um, from a traffic standpoint is understanding the lifetime value of a consumer or really what is your advertiser on the other end really wanting from a conversion rate standpoint and driving at that and making sure that uh, you can predict that in advance. Um, if you can predict quality before you're buying it, um, it's very, very difficult for your competition to keep up with you. Um, and so from a core thesis that's always been in our DNA um, of understanding quality in an industry um, and then uh, really attacking it from a, that internet traffic standpoint. So using that formula, finding different industries to build companies in. And so I think Link and Kogo has been around since about 2006 um, and have built and had a few exits uh, along the way. Um, and Everquote is uh, the first uh, public exit, but uh, we have many more coming. That's super helpful. Um, I, I, yeah, I, mean, I think you put it well. Like you know, qual quality content in industries drive you know drive business. I mean, it's 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 why you know listeners who may be on the marketing side of business understand like you know tried and tried and true sales enablement tactic is investing in publishers and industry events and and sort of um, areas and, or spheres of of influence from you know, trade niche, um, publishers that, you know, cover automotive or cover, cover pharmaceutical or cover retail, et cetera. Um, there's been a really interesting sort of like, um, surge around sort of like micro, um, you know, niche, um, industry-based sort of publishing sites, uh, in, in certainly in, in, in recent years, but, you know, I can, you know, date them back all the way, you know, for the 15 years of my career. Um, but what I'm curious, Jordan, is sort of what's the is the play is the playbook like creating um, it, you know acquiring those spheres of influence and or at, at times is it is it identifying gaps where there's an opportunity to create content and become a sphere of influence? Like it's it, I'm sure it's maybe not a one size fits all for every industry, um, but can you like share like perhaps an an example of um, you know, how that strategy would, would manifest in sort of quality content? Yeah. So I think yeah, if we take a step back a little bit and also I didn't really complete the link story, um, as well of, uh, our start was understanding internet traffic, um, and really driving, um, that forward and being amazing at traffic. And as I mentioned before, every successful internet company has product and traffic. Um, and how much traffic can you deliver to a good product? And so our 
our first fund at Link um, was primarily focused on traffic and doing that internally. And the second fund, um, which I'm really excited about, is driving at how can we connect that to great product as well? Mm. Um, how, can, how can we find products that are already resonating with consumers um, and supercharge them with uh, our understanding of the world from a traffic standpoint? And so uh, companies like healthcare.com, um, Trust and Will, Moto Refi um, are all part of our um, LV2 or Link Ventures 2 fund. Um, and uh, we're starting to mature as an organization to really understand the value of product. And those companies are exploding. Um, and same approach we're taking is where we acquired a brand with a great reputation, great product, um, and using our skill set to continue to advance um, that and tell more people about that great product. And so that's really our future um, is connecting great product um, with great consumers and, and continuing to expand rapidly. Yeah, that's super helpful. So LV1 was all about sort of content and sort of like driving traffic and and supporting those core sort of initial sort of internal incubated businesses and lv2 is kind of expanding out to to the to, to product and really growing growing products that's that's yeah. a good sort of kind of uh delineation between the two and, and is sort of a natural uh progression for for link and link ventures is incredibly valuable um when it comes to understanding data. Um, and so uh, I've been playing in uh, air quote big data um, for uh, about eight years um, and I've seen that it just explode um, on kind of the access to data. Um, and everyone is a big data company at this point. It's, it's economized to be able to access um, an obnoxious amount of data. Um, we digest terabytes a day. Um, of data and, and try to make sense of it. Um, and it's not that complicated to get that much data. Um, if you don't have that much data, um, like you're not really in the game uh, at this point, but the more important uh, component is understanding that. Um, if you can really understand uh, one or 2% um, of your data and, and activate that, um, you're uh, incredibly um, talented at, yeah. at this point. So um, we've been playing in big data uh, since the beginning. Yeah. Um, Dave London, our, our chairman, um, uh, started a company called DataSage. Um, uh, this is before Great uh, the internet, internet um, uh, bubble popped um, and was doing some of the, the first uh, work in big data um, to uh, help out companies like Walmart and Amazon um, understand how to expand. And so uh, that's in our DNA. And like to really understand uh, what is valuable and what is noise in data, you have to have the decades of experience um, that that organization has. Data Sage is such a great name for a company. Um, and that was in, in, in a while back too. So like kind of ahead of its time. Um, is that, would you say, is it fair to say like most everyone that works sort of at Link and Kogo is, is kind of a, like a data nerd or a data junkie? And are there like a lot of, you know, is it more, you know, a lot more like, data scientists, data analysts um, that kind of contribute across? Like, is that kind of, it seems like data is just embedded in sort of the DNA of, of, of the culture. Absolutely. Um, yeah, everything is math-based. Um, like, there, there are no real bad ideas. Um, like, we just let the math speak for it. So it's, a, it's pretty fun. Um, like, yeah. if you have an idea, 
uh, put it together and see if it works. And um, it wasn't me telling you your idea you know, didn't work. It was the math. Um, yeah. Let's just move on. Um, and yeah. so uh, very fast paced um, uh, and just very clean communication because like math is our, our core language that we communicate with. Nice. This is, um, it's funny because it, 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 I guess it's ironic that this, this thought would come to mind given we were just talking about data sage. One of, I don't know if I talked to you about this, Jordan, but like one of like, it's just like my go-to mentor in life. Um, my first manager at my first job out of school. He's now, now like essentially the, the general manager of the healthcare vertical, one of the seven verticals for Sage Intact, which is a mm-hmm. you know, $8 billion like global accounting software business. And they're based out of San Francisco. And like they, they won this award, I think like last year for like basically having like the highest density of um, marketing, marketing qualified leads and, S- and sales qualified leads. So like MQLs and SQLs per like, like marketing dollar spent. And everything they do is just math. Like, it's so interesting how that, that like, I've got, you know, I got a pretty good lens into how that, like, a really, like, efficient sort of marketing, global marketing operation runs and one that's, you know, awarded as one of the best um, out of the Bay Area. And it's just, like, I love, I love hearing um, my buddy Brian just say, like, yeah, it's all math. Like, if you have the math to back it up, we'll, we'll do it. Like there's a hypothesis that's good after it. And if, and if there isn't the math to back it up, go find the math. Um, and then afterwards, like, you know, the math will tell us, do we, you know, continue doing it or do we change something? And, um, it's interesting. The, um, the amount of times I end up in, in conversations with, with teams as a consultant, Jordan, where I'm talking to like the trade marketing group or the demand gen group. And you start asking some pretty elementary questions and realize, Oh boy, we're not even going to get to the math portion here because you know, they don't realize HubSpot's a CRM and that they can collect, you know, and 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 you know they're not familiar with sort of you know data capture and and sort of organization of data um, on a small scale. Never never mind a big scale. But um, you know, for listeners out there that are young um, that maybe skipped math in college, um, find ways to apply math in the business because it's it's sort of you know table stakes. I think in in twenty twenty one and beyond. I don't I don't see anything changing about that. Um, anyway, so, so data, data nerds, we can have another, uh, maybe we can have a data nerds podcast, um, another yeah. day. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to kind of chat a bit about your, your journey. Um, I, I actually, I spent a good portion of my childhood going down to Charlotte, North Carolina for Thanksgiving, um, year after year, because my, my mom's side of the family, um, they, they were there and my cousins grew up there before they moved to Charleston. Um, so I'm familiar with Charlotte, North Carolina. It's just big, sprawling, beautiful suburban neighborhoods where, you know, relatively successful business people lived like a couple doors down from Tim Biaka Batuka. Um, yeah. I just, I just described the neighborhood my cousin lived in like, Oh yeah, yeah. Tim, Tim Biaka Batuka from the Carolina Panthers lives there. Like, really? Like, what a what an interesting place Charlotte is. Um, so you grew up in Charlotte, like what, what you know, like what was what was that like? And you know, did you have siblings? And and just you know, describe sort of your your childhood. Yeah, um, yeah, awesome childhood, and I, I love the throwback Panthers <laughs> reference to Bianca Batuga. It's like somebody was asking me the other day about um, like uh, like you're a Panthers fan, like um, like. Uh, 
are you from North Carolina? I was like, of course I'm from North Carolina. Who chooses to be a Panthers fan? (laughs) Like, like, this is a, of course I'm from North Carolina. Um, but uh, it's like, if someone's a Jets fan, it's like, if someone's a Jets fan, like they have a a, a connection to a specific area around New York where people are Jets fans. Cause you would never choose for that misery. Yeah. (laughs) So I don't know. We look, we look pretty good. Tough game last night, uh, losing Christian McCaffrey and JC Horn, but, um, like it looked pretty good this year. So, um, three and oh, there you go. And actually speaking of the jets, you got maybe got a steal with Sam Donald. Um, yeah, right. He's a gem. He's still young. Actually one more thought. What what was that quarterback that they got in the draft? Like when they were an expansion team, like is it Kelly something or, or Wilson Kerry Collins? Terry Collins was one of our quarterbacks. Was Terry Collins, one of the quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember. I remember those old those old Panthers teams. So, so, um, so. Anyways, what what was yeah. describe but, describe that childhood? Yeah, Charlotte was awesome. Um, like as you described, the uh, the neighborhoods are fantastic, um, and I, I haven't experienced too much of neighborhoods um, uh, in the north where they are down south where. Um, it's kind of like your extended family um, in your neighborhood where you, you kind of go in and each neighborhood has, has a name. Um, uh, yep. where our, our neighborhood is Wellington um, and you'll have your neighborhood pool and your neighborhood swim team and um, a ton of your friends live in your neighborhood and you just ride your bikes to each other's house uh, every day. Um, and we just lived at the pool in the summer. Um, and yeah, it was an awesome childhood uh, growing up. Um, and no complaints. Awesome. So let's talk about sort of your early sort of mentors and guides, because it, it sounds like you started to get your hustle on at a pretty young age. Um, and in addition to sort of your immediate family, it sounds like you had an uncle that was, um, you know, helping expose you to, to business early. So what what were like some of those first things you did? What were some of the, you know, aspirational career pursuits you had and, and sort of like talk us through like teenager Jordan Staub as you were sort of like figuring out life and, and, and preparing for college. Sure. Yeah. Let's see. You know, I had a number of jobs growing up. But I, my dad always had a incredible work ethic. Um, so I always just wanted to work um, and wanted to, uh, learn new things and keep growing and um, was very fortunate to uh, get exposure to small business um, through my uncle's business uh, when I was growing up and I started that as a young teenager. Um, he had a few uh, biomedical engineering companies where they would uh, sell and service x-ray machines, ultrasound machines, nuclear cameras, a lot of the high-end medical equipment um, that has to be up and running at hospitals. Um, and so they had enormous warehouses in, in Charlotte storing all these things and uh, started uh, learning everything from fixing the machines um, to, to actually understanding how the business functioned from a contract standpoint, organizing their different systems um, and helping them on all kinds of little components uh, that you wouldn't really understand normally unless you're just in it. Um, and so great exposure early on. And my uncle always, never really hid anything from me um, about uh, the hard aspects um, of running a business and always tried to get me in, in the room as much as possible. Um, 
And that was incredibly valuable. You don't really understand it as much when you're uh, in it at the time. Um, but a lot of that exposure uh, still helps me with decision making today. Nice. Was there, is there like a particular like moment or lesson that you had like from working with your uncle that you still take with you today? Yeah, I think that like there wasn't any job that was beneath him. Um, like if it just needed to get done, like do it. Nice. Um, like, and I think that's still my uh, mentality today um, is uh just get the job done. Like if you see it, just do it. Don't, don't wait for somebody else to do it. Um, and if you lead by that example, um, it really starts to build that culture uh, within your organization of just always having pride in everything you do. Um, and uh, everyone else in your organization will step up. Um, it's, it's ridiculous for you to assume as a business owner that everyone should care about your business as much as you do. Um, like, but still uh, having that personal level of pride attached to everything you do is really important. I love that. That's a good riff right there. I mean, just, and, and just get the job done and being willing to roll up your sleeves. Um, I, I think that's a uh, Jordan. That could potentially even be the little teaser I put at the top of this podcast. Cause that, that is, that is some, I love that. That's music to my ears. Um, I, I am, I like to be the same way and hold myself accountable to that mindset, but I also hold most leaders that I work with to that standard of, um, you know, not, not demonst- not, not sort of demonstrating that there's things that are beneath them um, and that they're willing to sort of, you know, get their hands dirty um, in order to get through challenging times or, um, you know, make, make deadlines happen, et cetera. Um, I imagine like some, some of that, like, I'm curious, like maybe some of your oddball jobs that weren't in business. Like for me, like I always talk to my wife about this. I even told you this before. Like, I think we were talking about it a little while back. Like our daughter will, will want her to work in the restaurant industry. Cause like my wife and I both did. And I worked in retail and dealt with all sorts of crap as at the customer service desk. And I worked in, and in, in behind a bar and, and just, you know, humbled myself with those, with those kind of jobs and just, what do you need me to do? All right. I got to, you know, I got to empty the slop bucket. Um, not every bar calls it that, but, uh, but people, you know, I think it's an aptly named uh, description for what's happening behind a bar, but whatever you need, you know, that's what you need, you know, whatever needs to get done, you need to do when you're working in sort of like the hospitality industry. Um, I'm just curious, like for you, like what were some of those like humbling experiences that you had, um, you know, even, even at maybe perhaps as you, as you went off into college. Um, but, but were there any sort of that you would, you know, describe and want to share here? Oh man. <clears throat> um, I think everyone should, uh, be required to work in the service industry. Hell yeah. Um, just, uh, <laughs> like just to people learn just to be polite, um, and treat people better. Um, like when you're in the service industry, you see varying levels of, uh, uh, quality of people um, and uh, like you have to deal with a ton and, and your ability to deal with that is is a uh, really important to kind of shape your character um, and you never see anyone who work in the service industry um, uh, be a light tipper um, yeah. like uh, there's just uh, from a level of respect that you provide to everyone else um, after you've been in it and so yep uh, I've, I've had everything from uh, bartending jobs to uh, trying to 
start my own pressure washing business and I had teens and um, to all kinds of uh, different businesses. And I think always having that, uh, that stance of just do what needs to be done um, and, and finish the job um, is, is really important. And I don't know if I can name a single one um, experience that uh, create the humility, but it was always, um, always there of just, uh, just work hard, um, and, uh, just keep moving. Um, it was always really important. Nice. That's great. Uh, let's talk about, let's talk about college. Let's talk about, uh, the, the fun school you went to UNC Chapel Hill. Uh, yeah. So what, so was that like, I mean, being a kid from Charlotte, I imagine that that's a pretty, a pretty, uh, sexy, goal is to go to like specifically the UNC Chapel Hill campus. So how long of a goal was it that a goal for you? And, and, um, and yeah, like what were your, what were your four years like, um, you know, outside of just like, you know, getting yourself ready for a career after, um, just, you know, paint the picture of, of that, of that experience. Um, and then we can talk about sort of like how it set you up for, um, you know, for the beginning of your career post-grad. Actually, yeah, uh, Chapel Hill was incredible. Um, I was going there from birth if I could get in. Um, <laughs> like, so as uh, my mom went to Chapel Hill, my dad grew up in Chapel Hill. Um, uh, that's where they met. Um, and oh, nice. So uh, like, it, I applied to a lot of schools um, and none of them mattered once I got in. Um, right. it, it was uh, just auto accept. Um, and I regret absolutely nothing. It was an incredible experience. Um, fantastic school. And like the more you, you come out, like you don't really understand, um, uh, cost of college as much when you're that age, um, like, and the value you derive from it and trying to make good financial decisions about, about college, but like bang for buck, I don't think there's a better, uh, school in the country. Um, or world for that matter of what you get for um, how much you pay um, for the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. Um, incredible deal, especially if you're in state. Um, and but uh, loved Chapel Hill and was a econ major there, um, which I loved um, and has been incredibly valuable. Um, to me, economics is really decision making yeah. um, and, and using math to make decisions. Um, and so, yeah, there's the advanced math component, but the economics professors at Chapel Hill were fantastic, uh, about really building that foundation for decision-making and understanding. And, um, like game theory is second nature to me, um, like now and, and how to kind of walk through, um, not only how I should be making decisions, but how others are making decisions and, and where I can, um, find opportunities. That's fascinating. Um, economics continues to be a recurring theme on this podcast and just in my life and successful people I talk to, even my mentor I mentioned from Sage Intact, um, he was an economics major at Stonehill. And like he attributes his like economics undergrad sort of um, degree uh, to, to his ability to like, you know, catapult early in, in his career. Um, another, another sort of UNC Chapel Hill sort of endorsement, I actually hired someone from UN, like right out of UNC Chapel Hill, like a year plus ago, um, right out of school, like remotely middle of the pandemic. And I mean, she was, she is lovely and super just, um, like 
incredibly like productive and thoughtful and 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 just sharp and I mean honestly one of the most impressive young people that I've ever hired and and to do so remotely was just really impressive and UNC really uh, UNC Chapel Hill really prepared it well. Um, so ta- so what was what was the sort of job prospects following graduation? Like what were you um, what were you looking for and, and describe sort of that. Sounds like you got a role at, at Evergreen Investments that um, was the right choice for you, and I'd, I'd love to kind of unpack that a little bit as as to why. And if you know, within if you could speak to this through the lens of like, for you know, because we this podcast has some some younger listeners too. Like when you're picking jobs early in your career, it's it's so important. So I'd love to you to kind of like shed some light on you know, you know why you know why that was a great job for you and what sorts of things you think, you know, a first job, um, should offer you. And maybe you should ask, you know, if, you know, if they will be, um, uh, offered to you or, or in, in sort of, you know, accepting a job. Cause I always tell young people, think of yourself as an asset. Like, of course, like it's important. You need to get a job. You want to go sell yourself, but like that company be, should be selling you too. And they should check the boxes and provide the, the things that you need to, you know, create the, um, progress toward like your, you know, career goals in life, because you're not going to want to be the, you know, what, you know, cohort, you know, the entry level coordinator at some company forever. Um, and so, so describe that sort of first company, um, you worked at and that role that you had and, and how that was really the, the right choice for you. Sure. Yeah. And I'll, I'll have to give a little bit of background, um, to go into that and we might differ on our, <laughs> early career advice. Um, but to, to start, um, my, I took a year off. I was a semester ahead in college and took a year off to go live in Australia um, and minor in entrepreneurship um, for uh, a year um, and then came back, finished one more semester. While I was in Australia, I met um, uh, my girlfriend at the time um, and now wife, uh, Ashley. Um, and so she was from Boston, um, and we, we talked, um, and, uh, we compromised and I decided to move to Boston. Um, and just a quick, quick, uh, <laughs> quick side note here. And this yeah. is, I don't know if you know, Christian Mogul from, he's like the founder of Venture Lane. He, mm-hmm. he, and, and there's been a couple other, but he, he jokes cause he's, he's from Germany and, and he's like run a global telecom company in Australia. He met a Boston girl and he goes, when yeah. you meet a Boston girl, he goes, you, you have a healthy discussion about where you're going to live that only can end in you're living in Boston. Um, so, he, <laughs> so, so if you ever meet Christian, you, yeah, the gravitational pull that, 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 um, lovely woman from Boston. Like I, I met a Boston girl and we were living out in LA and it's like, and here I am back in Boston. Um, yeah. so yeah, no, that, 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 that's beautiful. And, um, and just as a, as an additional side tangent, Wollongong is where you were yeah. in Australia. You were, I think you were one year after me. I was in Sydney in 2006. You were in Wollongong in 2007. Correct. Yeah, right, right. What a cool, I, I mean, quick little side tangent, if you could take us on a little little tour of, of Wollongong. Like what what was that experience like, like to kind of cap off, you know, college and, and, and get some time abroad before you did embark on your, on your career? Yeah, I did a ton of homework on uh, where I wanted to study. Uh, in Australia, um, then went to Chapel Hill and said, I would like to go to the University of Wollongong um, and study entrepreneurship. And they're like, nope. Um, like none of the, none of those credits transfer. Um, that won't count towards your degree. And I was like, 
uh, okay, um, well, I'll just kind of drop out for a year um, and go do it. I still want to go to that school. It's the right decision. Um, and they're like, okay, I guess you can do that too. Um, and so uh, this is a good good reminder. Like you don't always have to play by the rules, like make good decisions um, and just, just do it. Um, and uh, usually the system will adapt um, to you. But Wollongong was awesome. Um, it was for me like much more Australian, much more um, ingrained in their culture. The people that I lived with were Australian, and uh, you got a much more uh, local experience. Um, and being there for a year, um, you really got to dig in and make some lifelong friendships. Um, so awesome community too. It's kind of like a, a steel industrial town turned surf town. Um, just beautiful beaches and. Uh, awesome culture. So a really, really fun time. Um, and, uh, met friends that, uh, still visit today, um, from Australia. Nice. Like they come in, um, they come to the States and, and they make it to Boston and you hang out or like they come, they come stay with you. Like that, that's, that's, yeah, cool. they'll come and stay with me. Like nice. yeah, a lot of our friends, will, <laughs> like Australia, Australians do not mess around with vacations. Um, like I think our friends went on a, an eight week honeymoon. Um, like, uh, they take very long trips and when they come and stay, they'll stay for like two weeks. Um, and so it's awesome. Um, but yeah, I think we've had probably 10 or 12 friends, uh, come and stay with us for extended periods of time. Um, from when we lived there. That's incredible. You got your own little, uh, own little, uh, hostel, uh, yeah. for, for Australians in, in, in Linfield. Um, that's pretty, that's pretty neat. And I, I can, I definitely, my big takeaway from going to Australia was, um, I mean, there were so many, but one of my takeaways kind of connected to this is sort of just how much people outside of the United States value travel. And, mm-hmm. and like, there's, you know, I didn't know what a gap year was until I went to Australia yeah. and everyone from Europe was doing a gap year. And there was all these like 18, 19 year olds, like not even going to college yet. Cause they were like, I'm going to experience the world first and figure out myself and, and have all these, you know, fun excursions and, and then go to college with a little bit more of an identity and having sort of, um, felt like I've, um, you know, I'm not so pent up, um, and, and anxious kind of going into school. And I, I admired that. And then even sort of you know, professionals that I worked with, like I did an internship at the Australian rugby union and then like, they'd go on like, yeah, like two, three week month long vacations. And it was like, you know, they, it's like, wow, in America, maybe someone gets a sabbatical every five to 10 years. Like, this is incredible. People really value time off. They really value travel. And, and that's something that um, I probably could do a little bit better job of doing, although the pan- pandemic certainly has thrown a wrinkle into that for all of us. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I think that's a really valuable, um, you know, take away from, from time, time abroad. I'm, I'm curious too, if, if you can kind of segue back into that first sure. job and, and then also like how, you know, how your advice might, might differ from mine or, or, or others and sort and sort of like what, what young people should look for in a first job. Absolutely. Yeah. So the, uh, why I moved to Boston and um, we established, um, and, uh, I really took the first job that was offered to me. Um, so we're, it ended up being a great decision, but um, I, I honestly didn't really put that much thought into it. Um, like I had an econ degree and I went into finance as you're supposed to. Um, and I think my advice would be like, don't worry about it that much. Um, like uh, don't put so much pressure on your first job and um, be 
you can be picky, um, but don't worry about it. Um, and just go into whatever you're going to do um, with a, a, a really strong work ethic and just aggressively learn. Um, and so for me, Evergreen was awesome. Um, it was a, a job where uh, we were mostly working the phones for um, the traders and we would field all the kind of simple questions of like, uh, do I need to take out my required minimum distribution? And um, uh, very routine questions where you kind of figured out your job in a week or two. Um, and it was very repetitive. And so I don't like doing repetitive, mindless things. And so fortunately, Evergreen, which was part of Wachovia um, at the time, uh, had an enormous like course library um, of different courses you could take uh, on the computer while you were just doing your job. I think you're probably supposed to do it like after hours, but I was just doing it while I was doing my job. Um, and uh, learned kind of how to structure databases, um, how to code uh, in SQL, and taught myself um, some computer programming, extremely light uh, database architecture. But uh, the same way if you were to learn a, a new language, you have to use it. Um, so I just started writing applications um, and built out some applications that actually went into production um, within like four or five months of being in the job uh, that I, I thought were very helpful to help us do our jobs better um, and service our clients. And they rolled out across the whole customer service division of uh, Evergreen Investments. That's amazing. Um, so uh, it was fun. Um, and I, I think I wanted to understand, like, I think the thing that I found as a skill set more than like, I, I, you don't want me uh, creating applications or coding um, like ever. They, they weren't very good. Um, but uh, I really enjoyed talking to executives about tech. Um, and uh, I found that everyone else in the room doing that um, wasn't very good um, at doing it. And they, they couldn't find a way to bridge the gap between their understanding of the technical world and people who didn't uh, understand and how to, how to translate that for them. And I found a um, that, that was a skill set of mine is I could explain complex things um, to people that that classically didn't understand them. Um, and I wanted to explore that more. And so uh, I didn't really see, I wasn't very excited about the growth path uh, within finance. Um, and so this is where I said, like, don't worry about your first job um, that much. Um, just get in and learn um, aggressively, pick up new skill sets and move on. Um, like, it's fine. Uh, like in your early stages of your career, um, you don't know what you want to do yet. Like I, I honestly still don't know what I want to do. Um, like when I grow up. Um, yeah, like I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. You want to know why? Because I don't ever want to grow up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so I got a really good piece of advice early on um, when I was struggling with that because there's so much pressure when you're coming out of school. Of like, what are you? What are you going to do? Um, that was that was like, a, that was a that was a um, education. What are you going to do now? Yeah, like what are you what are you going to do? Like what's what's your career? Choose. Um, and uh, a good piece of advice was uh, if you don't know exactly what you want to do, just go acquire skill sets that the future you will thank you for. Um, and uh, so that's what I did with Evergreen, and that's what I um, honestly am still continuing to do um, at, at this point. But the career change at that point was I wanted to go acquire more skill sets and I thought sales would be a good skill set to acquire. So I tricked a consulting company into hiring me as a sales guy. 
um, and uh, they brought me on um, as a boutique consulting firm, um, uh, maybe about 35 people at the time, two senior salespeople that I was going to learn from. Um, and they brought me on and said, uh, like, uh, it was just a starting position, but I was going to learn from those senior salespeople with my first week, both of them quit. And I was now the only salesperson oh, geez. Um, in the company. So, uh, the CEO at the time, uh, offered me a very healthy severance package for, um, ruining my life. Um, like, uh, as he felt, um, uh, or, uh, he wouldn't fire me. Um, for like six months, uh, like, and I could see what I could do. Um, I was like, well, I, I came to learn anyway. So if you throw some sales classes in there, like I'll stay and see what happens. Nice. Um, and it was much longer than six months before I figured out, um, how to do my job, um, doing 300 plus cold calls a day, um, at, uh, all hours of the day, trying to find any traction. Um, and finally started to figure it out, started to understand, built the system, um, hired into that system, took over the marketing, um, uh, then started to take over the operations uh, and then took over the company about three and a half years later. Um, what'd you figure China. out? So, so like uh, that's super impressive. Like what'd you figure out and like, and it kind of took that labor um, of 300 calls a day and fail, you know, fail, fail, fail. Like it, it, it's, it's a little similar, like early on in, in like my career started in PR agencies where it was like, we'd go after hundreds and hundreds of journalists trying to get, you know, trying to get a few to bite and, you know, write an article about, you know, a stem cell therapeutics company or something. Um, and it's way, like one of the biggest things that I realized early on in my career was like, like, I'm going to, I'm failing, like I'm going to fail a ton. So like what I got to learn things from these failures. Like, what did you look like? What were you learning? And like, what was that system that you put in place? Like, was some of it automation? Like what was sort of, you know, what, when, and what, like, what was sort of that, um, you know, framework or an aha moment like that, that create, you know, that, that shifted your brain and said, aha, like this is, this could perhaps work. And then did you, you know, you tested it and, and it started to prove, um, more successful than, than your previous efforts or strategies. Yeah, I think a lot of those aha moments just come out of like pure exhaustion, um, <laughs> like uh, failure. And like, I don't know, you kind of have to make a lot of dumb choices. You have to do a lot of repetitive things to realize that like doing repetitive things without trying to change is dumb. Um, like, and uh, you need to adapt. And so I think the first aha for me was like, I was doing 300 cold calls a day and having like, maybe I'd have like a conversation. It was just awful. Um, like conversion rate. I'm like, all right, this is not smart. Um, and like, if my CEO came down here and did one of these calls, like his success rate would be astronomically higher than mine. Like they don't know who he is. Like he's not saying his title or anything like why, like, what is he doing that like I'm not doing? And, um, I just started to ask people, um, like on the phone, like try to aggressively seek feedback. There you um, go. And uh, like, what am I doing that like makes you not want to like talk to me or something like that? And one of the first things that they said was like, "You sound young." Um, I was like, "I was like, what?" Does <laughs> and, that then, mean? and then you were like, um, "You should." And then, and then were you like, no, "Oh, you, you you should see me," um, yeah, yeah. because you still have a baby face in your thirties. So I imagine yeah. the same case in your twenties. 
yeah, I'm the 36 and still get carded in Vegas. Um, <laughs> like, um, so yeah, like I looked like a child when I was um, like running that consulting company. Um, but uh, it was like, I, you obviously can't see me. This is pre-Zoom um, and everything. But uh, so I was like, what does that mean? And it, it was just a, a maturity around language, pace of conversation, just understanding like all of the nuances that go into conversation sure. um, and starting to listen. Um, more um, and, and realizing that everything you did mattered. Um, and once you start breaking it down into a very granular process, you can start to build it back up and find what works. Um, and then from there, if you have such an intimate understanding of like your product and your pitch um, that you can teach. Um, and uh, that's where we started to build out what worked. Um, and then I could teach it to others. Um, and then we could start to scale. Um, and when you start with every little layer of like tonality and how you're communicating, um, it also makes it so easy to see all of the other opportunities um, in your industry. So uh, that's where like, I, I couldn't not go fix marketing. I couldn't not go fix operations. Like, cause I knew exactly what the clients needed. I knew exactly how to deliver it. Um, and I needed to teach the next level and the next level. Um, and so coming at it from um, the absolute ground up um, in sales, uh, forced you to be the most knowledgeable person in your company about everything you did. Um, and so it was an important lesson um, that I kind of lucked into um, about like, if you want to be able to solve problems in your organization, you kind of need to know uh, everything about your organization um, and uh, be able to not necessarily do every role, um, but understand it um, yeah. in, in complex ways. It is kind of, um, and this sort of, speaks to why the consultant's sort of not just mindset but it, consultant's experience lends itself so well to creating a lot of impact as a leader of a of a startup um so like kind of want to start graduating back into sort of your your present day at smarter tra travel and sort of some of the leadership um you know, how you would describe your leadership style. And, and I'm curious, like if some of those, those lessons early on, like if you're applying that through, um, you know, how, how, like, how are you hiring? You know, you mentioned you're hiring, you're always hiring, you're always looking for amazing people. Um, you're not necessarily, I'm assuming there's some level of at least hybrid work and, and those people may be having to be onboarded and, and collaborating a bit more digitally than maybe they, they, they once would, um, you know, how how are you sort of like as a as a CEO today um, of a hot tech company out of Boston with a, almost ten million in Series B announced last week? Like, what what is it that you're doing to try to implement? Like, because as many people as you can have at your company that have that like Swiss Army knife skill set and have that kind of consultative approach of like, hey, I have this specialized function that I am responsible for. But it's a function that is a that is that is a sort of related to all these other you know variables um, at at this organization. Are there ways that you're trying to help? Um, is it is it in the type of talent you try to bring in, or is it in the way that you nurture that talent or onboard them and get them in the right mindset? Like, do you expose a marketer? um to the sales process and product and how do you sort of coalesce your your team in particular now like more digitally than ever 
so that they can similarly apply, um, you know, a, a sort of breadth of, of, of uh, skills to, to their job um, and, and sort of, you know, follow and, and, and sort of follow in the path of, of, of their CEO, of their leader, of Jordan Stop. Yeah, it's, it's complicated. There's a few questions in there, but I think it's mostly on like, how do you, how do you help people grow as, as fast as possible with your, in, in your organization? And how do you think about talent? That's probably what I heard the most in that question. And, um, it's tricky because, uh, you want everyone's, uh, life to be easier than yours. Um, and you want them to grow faster than you grew. Um, and, uh, as a leader, you're always trying to hire people that are smarter than you, um, and just empower them, um, to grow. A lot of that though, is making sure that they have the exposure, um, to everything, um, like the good, the bad, um, like, and they start to, uh, really have their own struggles, like, and are able to learn from them. Like you don't want them to struggle, but you kind of have to let them, uh, make their own mistakes sometimes. And it's a balance of, um, allowing them to make those, um, and quickly helping them correct them, uh, and making sure that you're teaching as aggressively as possible, but, uh, still allowing for that cadence of, um, uh, failure, um, and, and letting them, experience that and move on. Um, I don't think anyone's, no one's perfect. Um, like no one doesn't make mistakes. Um, and I think mistakes are really important. Um, and just being comfortable with them and moving on, um, uh, builds resilience. And that's just such an incredible asset in a startup, um, is the ability to understand that like things are going to be fine. Um, and just like, I trust my skill set. we'll figure it out. Um, and, um, I've always, been fortunate to uh, like when things become chaotic i kind of calm down uh, more um and uh, are able to relax into the scenario and, and think very clearly um and i always try to um make sure that that is a, a trait that i allow others to acquire as well um and you only do that by getting punched in the face uh, a bunch <laughs> in business like and um and to try to not um, pacify uh, my employees too much and give them exposure um, to let them learn really quickly. And, uh, and that's important for perspective. Nice. I just got a vision of you on the, like in the final four for UNC, you know, down by, down by one, no time on the clock, two free throws. And you just, you just sink them back to back. Well, why didn't Man, you just go up for the basketball team? Yeah, they're kind of good. Um, <laughs> like, uh, and I, I wouldn't even remotely stand a chance of like um, sitting in on a JV practice um, <laughs> for Carolina. But um, I'm sure you could be a yeah. great supplier of water. Yeah, there you exactly. Go. Um, you know, one thing you did just jokes aside, I had to share that vision though because it was funny. Um, your your advice to young founders is kind of along the lines of what you just shared. So like kind of stepping out more broadly and just for, you know, for listeners that are their founders now or they're aspiring to, to be founders. Uh, I love that you said this in the pre-podcast Q&A, like 
it's cliche, but it's so true. Like my, 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 you know, partner and I now always talk about like, every, like fake it till you make it. Like everyone's faking it. Like trust yourself, go. Um, I, I, you know, can you, do you want to just speak to that like a, a little bit more and just sort of like the, like the reality is, and this is, this is something I've learned in business too. Like most people don't like, no one's like, no one's an expert. There's just like, there's just like degrees of like, you know, knowledge and understanding. And like the best thing you can do is like, jump into something, roll your sleeves up and do the work because you're going to learn a lot by doing. Um, but, but what are just some of the ways that you would sort of like illustrate like to founders that, you know, that just, you can pull back the veil. Guess what? There's, there's, there's a lot of it, Like we, there's a lot of, um, you know, v- vagueness. There's a lot of ambiguity around like, what's the right, what's the right way to do something like the right way to do something for you as a founder is going to be very unique to you. So so how would you, like, what would be your advice to that young first-time founder? Yeah, I, I think it's, like, my favorite thing about people uh, always look at cliches as being cliche, but, like, I understand how they got there. Yeah, they're, they're popular for a reason. That's what like, <laughs> yeah, they're, like, they happen so often that they, they became cliches. So, like, stop yeah. and, like, listen yeah. to cliches. Totally. There's a ton of value in them. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, I think the there's a lot in that that everyone is faking it. It's it's more of the like it's not uh, to me like faking it till you make it is like allowing yourself to be okay with a lower level of quality a little bit um, uh, when it's more about trusting yourself um, and trusting in your capabilities and that like no one has some magic solution like uh, and really understanding your skill set and trusting it um and i still battle with this today of like there's so many books to read about brilliant entrepreneurs and there's entrepreneur magazine Inc. magazine and like you only see almost like the social media version of people's lives um right. of like how they were this perfect founder and like they all they do is um create billion dollar companies and just not true um like i don't think i've ever seen anyone as a pure role model of like i want to be that guy um like it's more of that there are things that they do that i admire um and i would like to acquire those skill sets um and be as good as them or better at that thing um, yeah. but i want to acquire a lot of skill sets um from it so kind of have to balance the like reading how someone else did it and trying to implement the exact thing that they did and trying to find like how does that thing apply to what you want to do um and find your own voice um, and kind of go back and forth. I think it's sometimes really healthy to stop reading um, the the self help business books um, and reading from others about exactly what Elon Musk is doing and yeah. um, and and try to focus on like what is the right choice um, like in front of me um, and let's go with a hypothetical that maybe I'm talented um, <laughs> and I know what I'm talking about um, and trusting that voice and, and like continuing to develop develop that and sometimes. Um, reading too much about other people's success uh, can can silence that inner voice that you need to start trusting more. Yeah, well said. Um, I it's sort of maybe this is a slightly different, but it's, it's part of the reason why. Like, I don't I don't tend to enjoy reading like business books, um, but I do like I do like podcasts, and I'll seek out. I won't like necessarily be loyal to any specific podcast, but I'll identify people though that 
I see who are in a place of that, that are successful. Like for example, Michael Casson is the CEO founder of MediaLink, which sold to Essential a few years back, and it's one of the most influential consultant groups in the sort of media, TV, advertising, entertainment space. I find the business that the business fascinating, and and aspire to to you know lead and and develop really interesting modern consultancy myself. And so to 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 find a podcast, and I found several that he's been on, and just from time to time listen to to him, it sort of pulls back the veil on like this isn't like what he's doing isn't rocket science, right? So so for me, it's it's like the reason I like podcasts, and you know, it's like you know, say someone wants to. Know, build a, you know, build a business or build a travel business, and they might, you know, they might listen to this and and hear and they hear you talking and hear about your story and hear about the ways that you sort of like failed forward and and um, you know like the importance of math and it's like okay cool like you know what like this gives me a little bit more confidence like yeah I, I have I have I have things inside me that I can go and get you know get shit done too I can go be a boss. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I sort of like, I, I, I agree a bit and, and I think it's, you got to be cautious not to over-index on like seeking other people's um, insight to, you know, thrust upon yourself. And I think there's kind of like a nice, for me, podcasting is almost like a nice, it's a nice medium um, to use to kind of just become relatable to um, successful people and, and, and kind of pull back the veil on them, like having some like unprecedented level of knowledge and ability that you don't have, you know, and just um, kind of give you a little bit more confidence to, to kind of push forward yourself. Um, speaking of badass entrepreneurs, let's give a plug for Ashley, your wife. <laughs> Talk about scratch. So, so I think during the pandemic, but did, the, uh, the Staub family was, was, was up to all sorts of stuff. Um, and, and Ashley is, is the founder of, of Scrappy Hats. Do you want to just give, give a nice little, little plug to what's going on there? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, my wife is awesome. Um, and, uh, during the pandemic, um, she was able to start a company, um, from scratch, uh, which is Scrappy Hats, which are, uh, awesome, uh, really cool hats for kids, um, ranging from kind of winter hats to waterproof visors and, and, uh, they're awesome. Um, Scrappy uh, is was her nickname growing up from her dad, um, and the logo is actually um, her dad who unfortunately passed away. Um, it's his signature, um, uh, or it's his writing uh, of of Scrappy. Um, but she saw an opportunity uh, around that it was really hard to find cool hats, um, like for kids. Uh, they were always the, the same. Um, boring hats, and she wanted a, a good quality hat that um, helped protect kids from the sun, um, but also were trendy um, and cool, and, and she could throw her own style onto it. So um, she started from scratch sourcing everything um, and uh, found manufacturers and uh, started creating this um, from absolute scratch. And so uh, we're uh, again, my skill set primarily is around traffic. Um, to see someone just be amazing at product um, is is inspirational too. Um, so it's awesome to see allow our kids to have that kind of exposure too. Like they don't they don't understand building internet businesses at this point, but they definitely understand. Um, like mom thought of something mm-hmm. um, and made it 
um, and like uh, took her idea and made it real. Um, and now their friends are wearing something that their mom made um, because she wanted to. Um, and them understanding that that's a thing you can do. Um, like it's not just ideas. There's not some um, some magic that's unattainable. Um, like you can just take an idea and do it. Um, is incredibly important for us to teach our kids. Yeah, that's great. That was my, my following question was sort of how does, you know, how neat is this to sort of, you know, your kids to grow up in a household with entrepreneurial parents. And, and obviously I think with that, um, you know, they, they can be inspired and develop a good, a good work ethic. And I think also like and you, you're very, I've had a chance to meet, um, your wife, Ashley, she's lovely. You guys are great, great parents. And I think you also appreciate work-life balance as well. So you, you know, your kids see you both working and, you know, I saw Ashley bring a, an idea to reality. And now it's something that, you, you know, your kids, Sydney and Riker, like see their, you know, not just themselves, but their peers, like with scrappy hats, something their mom made. It's awesome. Um, but, but what, what's the work life balance side of this? And, and do you, you know, any, any tips and tricks for the, you know, what, what works for the Stab household, like in terms of, uh, you know, shutting down, shutting off from business and, and being present um, for family time. Like I, I certainly on our side, like we, we implemented some good, like best practices and like having dinner together and no devices like during the pandemic, because we, we all had so much more time together, but, um, but how do you guys kind of manage the work-life balance on your end? Sure. Yeah. And a lot of it's, um, it's important to have the work-life balance. Um, and I think the, like being present is incredibly important. Um, but do it in, in both settings um, and like plan your time uh, and attack uh, when you're doing something. So when it's business, um, like sometimes I have to work long days, um, but I try to only do that um, uh, maybe uh, once a week um, where I'll go late. But if I'm going late, if I miss bedtime, just go through, like just keep working and try to catch up and um, accomplish as much as possible so that maybe um, like uh, on Wednesday, um, I left early and, and went and saw them play tennis, um, at, at tennis practice. And so uh, the fun part of um, being an entrepreneur is you do control your own, own schedule to a point. Um, like, and you can create some of that flexibility, but um, like be aggressive whenever you have uh, free time. Um, like don't complain about not having time when you uh, have are asking for shows to watch um like on netflix um like you have time um you have to be deliberate with your time i guess time you could have been working um and you could have done uh like closing out your your books um like that night instead of uh, missing a bedtime um so think through like all the decisions and schedule things um accordingly um and stick to your schedule so i mean it's a little nerdy that we'll yeah. have to put things on the calendar but um, it makes sure that it doesn't get stolen by something that just comes up. Um, and, uh, yeah, I try to miss as few bedtimes as I possibly can. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's all about balance and to be deliberate about everything you're doing. Um, yeah. when you're home, be home, when you're at work, be at work. Um, and, uh, I think as you become a parent, um, you get a different gear from a work ethic standpoint. Um, you start to, you don't like wasting time 
um, on things and you start yeah. to, you can't afford to uh, understand, um, time in yeah. a very different way. Yeah. Well, well said, uh, the word that comes to mind is discipline. Like it, like the word I think that yep. kind of that helps up, like, yeah, just be deliberate and like, and just have the, yeah. And I always like to, I mean, I feel like having, having a kid is like, a, it's like a superpower because you, you have to be more efficient with your time just in general. And then, and so inevitably, like it starts to kind of bleed into all aspects of your life. So like, whether it's efficiently, you know, taking care of your body and like finding efficient, like exercise routines or efficiently, you know, being productive in your work day like it's just uh, it's interesting how having um kids actually can can help you achieve better um you know efficiency and get more done and and improve as a person and it kind of all comes down to just like implementing uh you know really good you know having really good discipline um cool thank you for that i mean as, as we're kind of um rolling towards towards the end of the conversation here you you know you know me um i like i like to ask a couple kind of big picture questions to, to guess. Um, and I really, I, I appreciated kind of getting a teaser of, of your answer here in the pre-podcast Q and A, but like, talk to me about the, you know, big, you know, there's all sorts of big challenges facing the world that could be addressed. And, and, um, certainly you can take this in other directions than, than you even took it in the pre-podcast Q and A, but I was particularly, um, intrigued, um, you know, at, you know, your, you know, your thoughts about sort of we've perhaps over we're over specializing as a society and and the importance and increased value of of sort of the generalist um you know can you can you can you sort of unpack that a little bit more sure yeah i think your question you asked was like what's the biggest challenge facing the world that you'd like to see addressed and um, i made the joke this is a classic heavy zach question yeah <laughs> <laughs> i feel like one of these always sneaks into our conversations like how are you changing yeah. the world today yeah um and what's but, your uh, purpose what's your legacy yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's um yeah i don't know like when it's, it's such a big question there's so many problems uh, like uh, in, in the world. Um, and so if you have to choose one, I always look at framework, uh, for being able to solve all of them. Um, I love that. Uh, so like, don't pick one, pick, uh, like the teach a man to fish, um, kind of approach. Um, so I think, uh, improving your ability to solve problems, um, is really important. So, uh, as we continue to specialize, um, our consumption of information continues to um, uh, silo. Um, like we need to take a step back and just um, uh, understand what's happening. Uh, and like lack of perspective can just be such a huge weakness as we're uh, consuming information in different ways, like isolating our friends group, friend groups, and like putting ourselves in echo chambers. Um, just make sure you're you're constantly lifting your head up and understanding more perspectives um, out there um, and being a generalist and understanding more um, uh, allows you to solve problems in unique ways um, and just be patient um, with people listen uh, more uh, and I think really if we focus on being more of a journalist reading things outside of your comfort zone understanding uh, more people like that improves our skill set to solve the long list of problems um, that still exist in our society today yeah well said well said so let me follow up a big question with another big question um mm -hmm. 
what drives you to be the person you are and what is the legacy you want to leave behind for your children and the world? Oh man. Um, yeah. Um, let's see. I, I don't know. Like, I think this always goes to like the classic question of like, do you like to win or do you like to not lose? Um, and like what really drives you? And I'm not sure if it's, um, either I definitely don't like losing and I do like winning. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, I'm not sure where I land on that. Like, I think it's more of, um, I don't like to not understand how things work. Um, and I trust in my ability to learn anything. Um, and an awesome book to kind of wake that up in you. If you, if you don't, have that skill set currently to know that you can learn anything is um, a growth mindset or mindset by Carol Dweck. Um, uh, awesome book. Um, but I think that more fits my personality of uh, like, I just need to understand how things work. And so like in my twenties, an anecdote for you was I, um, I knocked a hole in, in my wall with a, a doorknob and I needed to fix it and had no idea how to. Um, and I, I like hate being in that spot of like, um, incapable of fixing my own problems. And so I went on YouTube and figured it out and, uh, was crazy empowered uh, by like how much you could learn on YouTube. Um, and so I took it to the extreme of, uh, decided to buy a house and tear it down and, and fix it back up from the studs. <laughs> um, and so like, it's a good look into my personality of, um, like, well, like let's, I got, I learned this new thing. Let's see what we can do. Um, and so that was also an awesome experience working with my um, father-in-law on that, who was very capable and, and taught me a ton um, on that project. But um, it was a great financial choice, plus learned uh, a ton um, about uh, how to learn, um, like and, uh, and and actual functional skills of how to build a house, um, which I, I still love doing today. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that kind of fits my personality more of um, like what drives me. Um, it's just like an insatiable appetite to learn um, and, and just keep uh, growing. Um, I love finding out how dumb I was yesterday um, and uh, continuing to grow. And so if I look at like what legacy I want to leave behind, like I don't really care if my kids uh, know that I took a company public, um, like and uh, accomplish things in business. Like I think it, your actual success in life is probably more a reflection of how you treated people along the way and probably how many people show up to your funeral, um, yeah. who are actually like, uh, will miss you. Um, and, uh, I think everyone needs to always have that perspective, um, of like companies come and go. Um, but like relationships, uh, especially mm -hmm. in a small tight knit community like Boston matter far more, um, and just treat people kindly. Um, it, it matters. I love it. Jordan Staub, learner, builder, leader, loved by many. I think that's a pretty good legacy. Um, I love it, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, last, last question. Um, and this is a fun, this is a newer one. Like my, um, my production coordinator is like, came up with this idea. I think it's, it's, it's fun. Sort of just sort of like, a challenge you have for, for listeners, like, you know, what's, you know, what's something that you would 
ask, you know, ask for people to sort of like taken away from this call, like something they can do, um, you know, to help them, you know, improve, progress, like challenge themselves. Yeah. And I was thinking through like one of your questions is about mentors, um, like on the pre-show notes as well. And um, I was going to say like a remarkable number of my, again, I was saying I didn't really have a mentor, but I loved learning things from uh, individuals. And so many of those people were my peers. Um, and, um, one thing that like, I would recommend your listeners do is like reach out to somebody you haven't talked to in a really long time. Um, that was impactful uh, on your life. When you think about, um, just take a second and think about, uh, people from growing up that were really impactful and like reach out and tell them, um, like, I don't think we say thank you enough as a society. I mean, trust me, it'll make that person's day. Um, like if you reach out to them, it won't be random. It won't be weird. Um, they'll appreciate it. Um, and it's a, it's a good exercise. Yeah. I love that. There's, um, there's a book. I don't know if you've ever heard of this cafe. It's like a West coast cafe called cafe gratitude. Um, and it's founded by, I think they're from up in the Bay area, but I used to go to the one in LA on the West side. And there's a book that they published called sacred commerce. And it's just all about like, almost like gratitude as a religion. And just when, when you, when you just shared that answer, like it just, it just strikes a real chord, like positive, just chord, like in the, in the center of my heart, because it's, it's so important to express to those that have been with you along the journey, like your appreciation and gratitude for them. Like, it's just so, because I, I do think a lot of um, a, a, like common denominator of things that people just really benefit from, from others is sort of just encouragement and gratitude and, and to, to show up um, after a while in you know the inbox or the text messages of someone that you've you've you had a relationship with and maybe it's been you know quiet for a while and just say hey thinking about you like you appreciate you like you know that what we you know what we did together was you know it meant a lot to me like you know just how are you like it's that's a that's a really great um, piece of advice and a challenge that quite frankly I'm going to accept Jordan because I have a number of people that, uh, that I haven't hit up for a while. And, and this is something I've been procrastinating on. And now that I'm going to sort of state it to you and, and state it you know, publicly to the audience, I got, I got to go and do it myself. Um, so, so thank you. That's, that's great advice. Um, and thank you for all the time today, man. We, we went long. I knew we would, we had to, we, we budgeted appropriately, I think to, to cover everything. Um, so appreciate, appreciate everything. Excited to see what, um, what smarter travel, has in store, um, you know, moving forward, is there, are there any sort of parting words or, or things that you'd, um, you'd like to share, uh, before we sign off here? Um, and thank you for having me. Um, I, I greatly appreciate it and love what you're doing for the Boston community. Um, and I, I look forward to continuing to grow in this community. Um, and if there's, uh, if anyone wants to reach out, feel free to ping me on LinkedIn. Um, also go buy hats on scrappyhats.com. Um, <laughs> like extra plug for my wife. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, honored to, to be on your show, man. Jordan, it's been a pleasure, dude. Uh, let's, uh, let's plan an activity soon. We'll get the, uh, get the kiddos together. Maybe hit one of those, one of those Cape Ann farms, do a little Oktoberfest. Absolutely. <laughs> Sounds good, brother. You have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Zach. All right, take care. Bye. Cheers, Boston.